Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about theme. We're talking about one of the things I love most about games. I mean, mechanics are cool. But theme is really what I believe is what makes a great game. And we're talking to Evan Derrick, uh, the creative director and part owner from over at uh, Van Ryder Games. Evan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. I'm stoked. Yeah, I'm really excited because you've got a really cool, super duper thematic game, Detective City of Angels. I mean, I'm, I'm pumped about this game, man. Like, it looks really cool. I hadn't had the chance to play it yet, obviously. It's on Kickstarter right now, but I am pumped about it. You just It seems like you have injected an amazing amount of theme into it and just evoking this 1940s Los Angeles noir detective thing going on. I'm excited to talk to you about that. But first, in case people never heard of you, never heard of Van Ryder Games, give me your bio. How'd you get into games? All that good stuff. Yeah, so I've been you know, floating in and out of the industry for about five or six years now. I designed a game called Dark Moon, um, which uh, Steve Bonacore over at Stronghold Games published. Uh, and then I kept designing games and really loved it and decided I, even though I had a fantastic experience with Steven, I, I didn't like the fact that I had poured so much time into this baby and then it wasn't mine anymore. Yeah. I basically licensed my baby to someone else <laughs> and decided that I wanted to own my babies. Fair <laughs> so, enough. So then I got into publishing. I uh, met uh, AJ Porfirio, who's the owner and president of Van Ryder Games. And uh, he invited me to come join the company. And I joined as creative director about two years ago. And been that's been awesome. Yeah. And now Van Ryder Games, you guys do some pretty uh, thematic games in general. Hostage Negotiator, right? Super thematic where you're you're trying to save the day. You're trying to negotiate and all that. What are, Remind uh-huh. me some of the other games you guys you guys have. So, um, Hostage Negotiator is definitely our most popular game. That's our bestseller. Um, we also publish a game called Salvation Road, which is a post-apocalyptic, uh, co- fully co-op game. Uh, and another game called Saloon Tycoon, which is like a Wild West tile-laying game where the tile, you don't just build out, you actually build the tiles up. So you build like this three-dimensional Wild, mess, wild West mini-mall. Uh, by the end of the game yeah uh, and then uh, our next game is detective city of angels which is on kickstarter right now yeah awesome now what got you into game design like why of all the things creatively you could do in the world why game design uh i was a filmmaker for about 10 years i did editing and filmmaking so i've always enjoyed storytelling but screenwriting is a very solitary yeah. form of storytelling you kind of sit in a room <laughs> for for months while you write this thing before you show it to anyone at least that's how i did it mm-hmm. Uh, and I really just gravitated to game design because it's also storytelling, uh, being a game designer, you are being a storyteller, but you're creating a, you're creating a template for other people to create stories with the structure you build. And game design is a fully incredibly collaborative process. In fact, one of the most important things you can do as a game designer is, uh, have a workable prototype and put it in front of other human beings as fast as possible. Yeah. And so I really appreciated that uh, it wasn't a solitary thing, that I got to kind of you know, uh, put, put my creations in front of people early on. Of course, they crashed and burned, and <laughs> they're, they're awful, and they're terrible, and I feel like a failure <laughs> after a play test. But other than that, it's a lot better than uh, screenwriting. So that, that, that's kind of how I got into uh, game design. Yeah, and now... Let's get into theme. Give me a good definition. Like, what do you define as theme as it relates to board games? So, theme for me is if it creates a distinct feeling. Yeah. Uh, depending on what that is, and it could be everything. Like, is this game creating the feeling that I'm in a post-apocalyptic wasteland fighting hordes of the undead? Mm-hmm. Or does it create the feeling of I'm a detective in 1940s Los Angeles trying to solve the murder of, you know, uh, a working girl down at the pier? So 
really for me, strong theme is something that teleports me to another place or puts me in, in the shoes of another person or another experience. So very different from, say, uh, you know, a kind of Eurocentric point salad game, which I don't in a, I love Agricola. I do not feel like I'm a 14th century farmer. Right. <laughs> that, that, I, I don't feel that at all. I feel like, oh, I've got to put my worker here so I can get this or they're all going to starve. I got to get the points at the end. Yeah. And I, I love those kinds of games, but they're, they're not thematic. I don't feel like a farmer. Yeah, for sure. And, and even if you're just playing cards and rolling dice, does the, does the game really kind of teleport you, transport you to this other, other place? You know, just before we, we came on the interview here, I was over, I was actually at a play test working on my football game. And there were times in the game where it came down to just a die roll. And again, this is just throwing a little six sided down the table, but you felt like this is my final play. Like I'm either going to kick this field goal and win the game or it's going to go wide right and I'm going to lose. Like that's, and that's what the players are feeling at the table, which tells me my game is doing what it's supposed to do. Like that's the goal with that game is to kind of evoke yeah. that emotion, that feeling. We are talking right before we, we started recording about your game Dark Moon, and your whole goal was like paranoia. You want the players to feel paranoid, you know, and like, are you an alien? Am I an alien? Like you're trying to figure all those things out. And so like how do you, how do you get that theme in a game? Like what do, you, what do you do personally for your designs to like really evoke that theme? So my only, you know, when I'm, when I'm you know, when I'm designing and I'm trying to create, a certain feel or experience, really my only template is myself. Do I feel like I'm being a detective? Do I feel like I'm paranoid on a space station wondering if people are going to stab me in the back? Um, And then hopefully trusting that, well, if it feels that way for me, at least I've made a game that I like. (laughs) And hopefully that means that there will be other people that will like that. So uh, oftentimes uh, when I'm designing... I'll I'll go back and forth uh, mechanically. If something's not working mechanically, I will. If if the the theme that I've chosen for the game is strong enough, I'll simply look to that for insight uh, as into how to refine the mechanics of the game. So, for example, uh, in Detective, um, there was a real problem with downtime. Um, turns were taking so long because it's a mystery solving game, but it's a competitive mystery solving game. All the detectives are working against one another. They're not working together to solve the case. They're trying to be the first to solve it. And so as people really get into the investigation process and solving the mystery, they're taking a lot of time on their turns, wondering what questions to ask, how to interpret the information they found, all that kind of stuff. And because the game scales up to five, it meant that there was a lot of downtime. And that that was a problem. So I simply asked myself, well, okay, what would – if 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 I was really a detective competing with other detectives in the 40s, what would I do? And I was like, well, I'd hire a snitch to like <laughs> listen in on their conversations. Yeah. And so then I just developed a, a mechanism whereas, whereby you can participate in other players' turns and potentially hire, bribe a snitch to listen in on, on their conversations. And it really uh, affected it lessened the downtime considerably and is very thematic. So uh, I think that's one of the strengths of designing a really thematic game is that when you get stuck in a hole, um, you can just kind of look to the theme itself for ways to kind of dig yourself out. Yeah, that's a great point. And I want to talk more about how mechanics and theme can kind of relate to each other in a second. But are, are you a mechanics first guy, a theme first guy, an emotion first guy? What do you, what do you start with when you're working on a game at the very beginning? So, Usually I don't start the design process until I found a theme I really want to do to do, a theme I love, and a mechanism that a core mechanism that supports that theme. And usually those things will bounce around in my head for a while. Mm-hmm. Like for example, uh, I'd love to do like uh, a bank robbing game where there aren't where you actually have guys on a map and they're busting into the bank and stealing the money and then running away and then another player is controlling the cops and trying to hunt them down the streets as they're fleeing in cars and stuff i think that would be really cool and so that's been bouncing around in my head for years and i'm just waiting to pair it with a mechanism yeah once i find a mechanism that really kind of fits with that that's when those two things will click for me and i'll uh, and i'll go yeah um so 
but until that happens, I, I usually don't start on a design. So really, it's it's a little bit of both. Gotcha. So you're just kind of waiting until that, that magical moment when when X meets O and, and it kind of combines at the right place. Now, have you done that in the past where the mechanic you thought originally just didn't work at all? Like you're like, oh, this is going to work really well. And then you finally got it out on a you know prototype playtest form. And it was like, oh, back to the drawing board. Does that happen a lot? Oh yeah, yeah. That, that all the, oh no, 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 Gabe. Everything I design is pure gold. <laughs> well, I was. Uh, hoping, I don't know about you. No, I was hoping I that you waited game. until like it worked out so perfectly in your head that maybe you were the one in a million designer that it, like you had the the sixth sense of brain power because there have been so many times I, I kind of do the same thing. It's like okay, I really want to design a game about let's say football. Okay, I've got this idea. Okay, this really cool dice rolling mechanic. All right, let's do that. And then it gets to the table and it's like, this is the worst thing any human has ever conceived. Like, this is so garbage. And I feel like a lot of people, they have the same thing going on, but they think people like Richard Launius or Eric Lang or any of these designers that have really cool games out there, uh, you know, Evan Derrick, that maybe, they, maybe they're special. Maybe they're different, you know, where the things in their head just work differently. But you're telling me that you're just like everybody else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now I, I will say that when I when I uh, first designed uh, Dark Moon, which actually started out as a print and play game called BSG Express, mm -hmm. uh, that one worked really well right out of the gate, yeah. and it was my first game, and it kind of spoiled me. Yeah, it's dangerous <laughs> uh, because I thought <laughs> I'm so good at this game design thing is easy. I'm gonna my be rich. Game, <laughs> my first game is great. It's already been signed. I'm a genius. And then I designed like 20 other games that crashed and burned right away. And that, right. <laughs> that was a good wake-up call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember I interviewed Richard Lonius a while back, and I asked him, I said, how many games do you think you have worked on either, not just an idea, but like actually worked on, prototyped, put together, put it on a table, whatever. How many do you think you've done that just didn't turn out? And he said, oh, I don't know. It's probably around 1,000. Probably about a thousand, give or take. I was like, "Good <laughs> lord!" Like, no doubt. But I mean, you think about how many he's published, which is a crazy number too. Like he's had so many games that are on shelves right now. But that ratio of however many that number is to a thousand, it's like wow. But yeah. it's just it's like any other creative endeavor. You just got to keep working. Like there's not there's not a lot of magic to it. You just figure out some systems and. You just keep working until you find some really cool stuff. Now, do you have any systems? This is kind of, you know, as far as like you're working on a game, you're really trying to get the theme in there. Do you have any kind of a, not necessarily a template, but anything processes that you go through, kind of putting your game through to kind of get the game that you're wanting? Uh, I mean, it starts out, I mean, it starts out, I spend a lot of time in my head with it. Yeah. And usually um, it's when inspiration strikes, when I find that theme and the mechanism and I really think that they pair together well, I'll... I'll get into like a fever, feverish state yeah. where I'll spend like three hours just like going over everything in my head and all the little mechanisms. Oh, it could be like this and this and this. And it's like this really intense process and I take down a bunch of notes. Uh, and then from there, um, when that ha after that happens, from there I'll start, you know, prototyping bits and also sketching out rules. Uh, sometimes I'll actually write the rules before I just like a first draft of the rules mm -hmm. first. Um, but then a lot of times it'll be sketching on note cards and kind of just building in a little bit of time. I've had a couple of really ambitious, uh, designs that, uh, were so ambitious that I probably put probably a hundred hours into them and have never actually play tested them. Oh, wow. Uh, because I couldn't get it to the point where it could actually be successfully play tested. That's yeah. how ambitious it was. That's like not, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that as a as a solid design process. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, you know, creating bad art can sometimes lead to really good art. Not necessarily like your stuff's bad, but I'm saying creating things that don't ever go anywhere just to get your brain in that space of creativity. Well, that's one thing I've found. So like the last few weeks, I've worked on like some game design almost every single day for three weeks now, roughly, give or take. And all of a sudden... I don't know, four or five days ago, I had this like brand new idea for a game I wasn't even working on. Not even one of the designs I was working on. I had this idea all of a sudden that changed the entire game and made it so much better. And I have to believe it's because every day I was putting my brain into that space of thinking about these things, thinking about mechanics, thinking about design and theme and all this stuff. And then I had a really cool idea. And so, you know, even if you put 100 hours on a game, 
I, I personally still don't think it's ever a waste of time. Like, even if it never becomes anything real or never even makes it to a play test, I still feel like like all that work you put in somehow led to detective in some way. Like, it put your brain in that space to get you there. I don't know if you agree with me, but that is, that is my opinion on things. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I would say uh, all of the hard work and the time and the failed play tests are essentially a crucible for whether or not you're cut out to do this. Yeah. Because if you cut and run after your first design, you know, bogs down in the development process and it, it, you don't have the interest or the passion to carry you past that, then it's probably game designing is probably not for you because you know, for the 10%, the 20% that's enjoyable, there's like about 80% that can be pretty brutal. Right. So uh, I think it's a good, you know, all the failed play tests all the time, it's a good crucible for whether or not you're cut out to do this. No, that's, that's great. And then I think that's anything in life, creative, a job, you want to go to school, you want to play a sport, any of those things, it's kind of the same thing. Like, do you really want it? Like, do you want it so bad that you have to do it? Like, is it because a lot of people yeah. want it, but do you have to have it? You know, because I've heard a lot of people say, I really want to have a game that's on store shelves and this thing. It's like, do you really? Because if you really want it, you'd, you'd be working on that game right now. You right. know, I remember when I was in college and, and I was playing football and I'd have people say, gosh, I really wish I was on that team. And I go, really? Are you in the weight room every day? Like, are you out running? Are you practicing? Are you getting to know the coaches? So when the tryout comes along, they know you. And like, are you doing anything that leads to what you're claiming to want? And so same thing with game design. If you really want to make a game. Yep. then work on it, you know, do it. Absolutely. Well, cool, man. Well, let's get into a little bit more of the theme. How do you bring out the theme? Like how do you marry the mechanics and the theme together so that the mechanics push the theme even harder? Let's talk a little bit about detective, about, you know, paranoid, uh, not paranoid, about dark moon and the paranoid kind of theme in that game. What are some things you've done to really bring that theme out in a game? Uh, I mean, for detective, it was always, I mean, my goal from the beginning was I wanted it to feel like you were actually solving um, a mystery. I, I love deduction games. I, I love Clue and, and things like that, but I never felt like I was really solving a murder. We were just shuffling some cards and sticking them under the board, and now i got to figure out which is A, B, or C right. You know, that's underneath the board. So I'm not actually solving a murder. So I wanted it to feel like you were actually solving a murder. I wanted that really badly. And I had played a game, a video game from Rockstar called L.A. Noir, mm-hmm. which is, which is set in 1940. It's it's it, basically Detective City of Angels is L.A. Noir, the board game. Yeah. And uh, and they had this fantastic uh, gameplay mechanism in it where you would interrogate uh, suspects in this video game, and you'd have to read their facial features hmm. um, to tell if they were lying or not. And it was about 80 to 90% successful. Sometimes you couldn't actually tell, but it, it created this fantastic experience of, are they lying to me? Yeah. And so I wanted to marry that experience to a board. I wanted a board game that created that. And so mechanically, I tossed it around in my head and I eventually came to the conclusion that the only way I could do that is if there was another player uh, opposed to the detectives a player who controlled the suspects and answered for them, uh, which would then create a sense of doubt and questioning about whether or not what the answers that you were receiving were true. And so that's what I created for Detective. There's actually a player called the Chisel who functions kind of like a game master, but he controls all the suspects. And, uh, and so as the detectives uh, ask suspects questions like, where were you the night of the crime? Did you know the victim? That kind of thing. Uh, the chisel gets to answer for them. And then the detective has to determine whether the response they're getting from the suspect is a lie or the truth. And they can challenge them. And there's like a push your luck uh, element. Um, but when I kind of uh, latched onto that epiphany, that in order to really create a sense of mystery, I needed to have another human player running the mystery. Essentially, mm-hmm. uh, that was that was the that was the mechanism that clicked for me. And when that happened in my head, I knew I was like, okay, I've got something. This is this is worth exploring further. I and, and basically, my barometer for that is if I want that game. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> like I personally really want to play that. It doesn't exist. It's not out there. I want it. I guess I'll have to make it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, there's some really good games out there, very thematic games. Uh, Eldritch Horror, for instance, a lot of theme in that game. At the end of the day, though, you're just running around trying to collect a clue token. Like, you're, you're trying to get a token, and you're hoping that your dice roll well enough that you get a token, and then you trade these tokens in to do this other thing. But you don't really ultimately feel like you're fighting Cthulhu or any of the other Elder Gods. You, you feel like you're getting tokens, and that's going to lead to hopefully winning the game. With your game, it's not just collecting tokens. Like it's, it, You really are kind of reading that, that person, and you know, are they lying to me? Is this, is this for real? And that's, that's just a really cool concept. It's kind of a next level of thematic or theme in games. And so I'm excited to see what other people do now that... Because this is what's really cool about games. Now that people realize that they can do this, more games are going to come out with this kind of idea, right? And they're going to figure out ways to have a chisel in their game and do some different things. Then. And I think it's, it's going to be interesting. Kind of like when Rob Davio came out with you know, legacy stuff. It's like, oh, wait, we can tear up cards? That's a thing? We can put stickers on a board? Oh, oh okay, let me do that. You know? And so it's going to be interesting to kind of see where, where your game goes and then maybe where some other people take it. Now, are there any other ways that you've injected the theme? Like, how do you really pull 1940s noir out of cardboard and tokens like how do you really do that so i really love that period and i spent a lot of time reading and watching films from that period i'm a big film noir fan uh and i love uh the books of james elroy he wrote a group series of books called the la quintet uh of which the most famous one is la confidential which was turned into the movie with uh, uh guy pierce f- fantastic film Uh, Kevin Spacey's in it. Um, And so because I spend so much time, you know, absorbing that literature, watching those films, uh, playing video games set in that era, I think that 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 gives me a lot of uh, uh, a lot of um, it gives me a lot of uh, resources to pull from when creating theme. So the board, I mean, it's a it's a legitimate map of Los Angeles with real locations that I've researched a lot of the characters in the game are actual historical figures from the time period. Uh, Brenda Allen, Jack Dragna, Mickey Cohen, Bugsy Siegel, mobsters of the era. So being able to put, you know, uh, having immersed myself in this, in the, in the world and the themes and stuff, I can, I can, I can put a lot into that. So, um, a lot of players aren't necessarily going to know that they're not going to know that Brenda Allen was a real Hollywood madam who almost brought down the LAPD. Mm-hmm. They're not going to know that Slapsy Maxis was an actual club that Mickey Cohen owned. Um, but I think that uh, all the attention to, to detail that I've put into the game uh, eventually comes through and, and really does create a very rich uh, and legitimate world. So there's not really an easy answer uh, like when you ask like, well, how do you make it feel thematic? Well, like crap ton of research <laughs> and an enormous amount of writing <laughs> and lots and lots of Googling. Yeah. <laughs> so and that's, and so with all of that, yes, I think it, it really does feel like Los Angeles in the forties or at least as close as I could get it. Yeah. Now, is there a lot of like flavor text on the cards? Oh, yeah. And, and then the art is amazing. The art, and that's another thing. The art is really going to help you in a lot of ways bring out a theme in a game is what the art looks like. And so what did, when you were, I don't even know, did you have a control over the artist and, and the art style for this game? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the creative director for our company, but also the art, I, I do all the art direction for our artists and stuff. So yeah, I've, if this game isn't any good, it is totally my fault because <laughs> I have uh, – AJ Porfirio, my partner, has done a lot of development. He's really influenced the game in some really positive ways. But but ultimately, I mean, it's it's my baby, and I've had control over every facet yeah. of the game. So if it's, if, 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 if it's not any good, it, it's all on my shoulders. Right. So uh, Vincent Dutrait's our artist. Yep. And one of the reasons why I, uh, one, I've always wanted to work with Vincent. I think his art is fantastic. But he is, uh, he spends so much research, time researching and so much attention to detail. So all of the art, I mean, it, 
it feels it's legitimate. Those are real clothes. Those are real guns, weapons uh, from that era. Yeah. He's he's doing research for all of that. He he watched L.A. Confidential and did a bunch of bunch of research on that. Um, really influencing the look of the game. So, you know, all of my research and all of my writing and the flavor text that I put into it married with all of the research he did on the art means that it really is, I mean, we, we spent a lot of time and effort trying to evoke 1940s Los Angeles. Yeah. Now, for somebody who's working on a thematic game or something that they really want to be a thematic game, any advice to them on research? Like, what are some things that you do that, that you found give you a lot of information? Uh, obviously, Googling, but, like, do you watch a ton of movies? Like, when you're working on Dark Moon, did you watch a lot of, like, sci-fi movies that had that kind of paranoid, paranoid feeling to it? Like, what do you do in your research process? Like, what, what advice would you give? I mean, I'm not even like, for example, I love sci-fi horror. So I was already watching a lot of those movies anyway. And I love noir and I was already, you know, watching a lot of that stuff. So I was able to just pull from the backlog of things I was already passionate about. Now, if I was to create a game set in 14th century England, I'm not nearly as passionate about that period. And I might not even make a game with that theme because I don't have that reservoir of, of interest and passion to pull from. But for for designers who are wanting to create a specific, you know, evoke a specific theme, I think, yeah, lots of research and you really should love it. Mm. I mean, you it shouldn't be like a, a academic exercise if you're not really passionate about creating a whatever game it is uh, with whatever theme. I, I wouldn't do it because uh, creating a really rich theme really requires a significant uh, amount of additional time yeah. on top of the normal design process. Like you're, you're, you're doubling your workload in some senses. Yeah. And I think that's really good advice. If you're not, if you're not passionate about it again, like we were talking about earlier, this is not an easy thing to finish, you know, games, they take a long time. They take a ton of playtesting and effort. And if this is not a world that you really want to hang out in for a while, you're, you're, you're likely not to finish it. And so I think that's a good point. You know, in, in writing, they would say, write what you know. Like, don't, don't go yeah. into a book writing about all these things. If you don't know anything about courtrooms and law and legal matters, don't write a legal drama book because it's going to show. <laughs> like, people are going to know, yeah. like, this is garbage. You made this up. And so, yeah, if you're really trying to make a theme in a board game, really a thematic game, Maybe start with what you know and what you love. Uh, I was talking to a guy named Donnie, uh, Danny Lott the other day, and he loves horror movies, just loves them. Like, we'll watch one every day, and he just loves them. And so he made a really cool horror-themed game, and it made sense because it was just a an outpouring of what was already inside, and it was just getting that out. And so I think that's one maybe a cool exercise for designers to do is take a step back. And what do you love? I love football. So I made a football game. You know, it just kind of makes sense. And so what are some things yeah. in, that you love, and, and is it possible to make that into a board game somehow? You know, uh, Maybe you like being paranoid, so you, you made a paranoid game. I don't know. <laughs> I, I actually like lying and betraying my friends in a safe place <laughs> because this is behavior that's not acceptable right. in society at large. So I created a game that allows you to – engage in that behavior <laughs> yeah for sure now let's talk about theme and emotion you know like because in my opinion theme and emotion they go hand in hand like when you're trying to really get a theme across to a game you're, you're trying to get players to feel something yeah. feel what that is and so let's let's go more in depth about that what are your what are your thoughts on emotions in games and how to like really mess with people's emotions or draw those emotions out so that's Again, that's tricky because p- human beings are subjective. And so, you know, something that's going to make me feel real strongly might not necessarily make you feel strongly. I would say that it, you really need to trust your own instincts. That if it's, if it's, if it makes you feel like a detective or a, an orc warrior or a king, uh, then that should, that should be your first, uh, that, that, that should be the strongest barometer for whether or not you're evoking that emotion. And then, honestly, just watching people as they play and as, as, as you're, uh, you're playtesting. Uh, it, it can become pretty obviously, obvious really quick whether or not people feel like they're actually solving a mystery. 
And if, if they're not, then it's time to go back to the drawing board and figure out, okay, what are the what are the elements, what are the mechanisms in my game that are, are obstacles for them feeling this way? And what are uh, additional mechanisms I can add that can, can pump up that feeling? Because sometimes the mechanics can stand in the way of, 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 of creating a, a, an emotion or an experience. Uh, because if they're, uh, move, for example, in detective movement, we went through like six or seven different movement systems. It took, us, it took me a long time to finally figure out a movement system that worked. And it, it was a stumbling block for most players. They felt like, I'm, I'm spending too much time moving around the city. I've got to optimize my, you know, my actions. You know, I can't. And so, and it wasn't fun. They weren't solving the mystery. They were figuring out how to logistically do transportation around a city. Right. Um, and so that was, that we spent a lot of time trying to remove that, uh, that stumbling block because it was preventing them from experiencing the emotion of being an investigator they were just annoyed that they couldn't get across the city fast enough right right now a couple things that i just wrote down the kind of ideas that came to mind one do you have any uh advice on certain mechanics that kind of lend themselves to certain themes anything you found just in your design work that you go wow this this really lends itself to this kind of a game any any thoughts on that i think it's i mean it's all it all depends on the theme. Yeah. I think any mechanism can relate to, you know, can be used differently in different in different themes. I, I don't think there's I, there are mechanisms I personally really like and gravitate towards because yeah. they create strong emotions and experiences in me. But I, I don't necessarily think it's like oh, thematic games have this mm -hmm. in them. Although. I will say thematic games usually have lots of text, mm. lots of flavor text. So, and Detective's no different. Yeah. <laughs> We've got, I think, maybe over, gosh, over 100 pages of material. Wow. Potentially. So, do you have a um, word count? I haven't done, no. <laughs> it's, 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 it's over 300 cards yeah. and over 100 pages of printed material. Right. That's crazy. And now with your game, this is another you know thing. Sometimes thematic games can run into, uh, like yours, especially with like mystery games and deduction games. With yours, tell me a little bit more about it. As far as you know, once you do a case, is it done? Like you can't go back and redo it because you already know all the answers. So it's actually a, it's like a it's a split. It's a happy medium. Okay. Um, it is one and done for the detectives. Once you've played a case as a detective, you cannot play that case again as a detective because you already know the solution. Mm -hmm. However, the chisel, because they have perfect knowledge of the case, the chisel can run the game as many times as possible. And actually, the chisel gets better and better at the game the more times they play the case and the better they know the mystery. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have one group that only plays with each other, you know, you're, you, you only play with a couple people each week, um, you're gonna once you get through this, um, you're gonna have experienced the whole thing. But uh, if you're the kind of person who plays with different groups or whatever, if you're the kind of guy who buys the game, you're gonna play the role of the chisel. Then there's plenty of replayability. You just need detectives who haven't experienced that certain case. So it's kind of a split. Gotcha. All right, so let's go back to what you were talking about just a minute ago, as far as players getting frustrated because public transportation was you know annoying and trying to get across right. the city so let's let's talk about the the difference between theme like a thematic game and a simulation because sometimes games can fall into that simulation place where you're just looking at charts and you're looking and it's like really really accurate it's a flight simulator of a game yes but that's not necessarily what you want so kind of how do no. you find that place in the middle it's like that old microsoft flight simulator yeah. game Right. Every time I would load that up, I would just try to crash the, the plane into the, the, the control <laughs> tower or something. I could care less about all the charts and the you know actual right. uh, skip, you know schematics and dials and all that other stuff. Yeah. So I would say it goes back to that point of what's the emotion you're creating. Um, and, and there is there is give and take with, with mechanisms and with theme. Yeah. Sometimes you have to have a mechanic in a game for the game to work. And you might really struggle to come up with a thematic reason for that mechanic to be in the game. Uh, a lot of the work uh, 
AJ and I do in designing games and stuff is we know that this mechanism has to be in the game and we're like, okay, we have to figure out a plausible reason for this, right. <laughs> this thing to exist. Why Why are players do moving this cube from A to B? There has to be a thematic reasoning for it. But on the other hand, sometimes you, you keep mechanisms in a game because it does evoke a strong theme even if it isn't the best. Maybe it creates some fiddly rules exceptions. Maybe it creates some issues here or there. But man, if that really if it's just such a cool rule that really evokes theme, then then we keep that. So I would say a simulation uh, doesn't it just completely, you know, misses the forest for the trees. Yeah. And that you're you're only it's it's just so many different uh mechanisms in service to just you know total uh, perfect uh perfect simulation and really uh it's not at that point unless you love logistics or i think some some war gamers yeah. really really love feeding their troops and spending <laughs> spending two hours filling out charts and stuff yeah. and that is fantastic right supply chain that management is, you know that doesn't feel like what i think war should be i, I think that that is probably um a very accurate representation right. of what war actually is but that's not fun war i want you know the the, the glory and run, running my bl- platoon up the ridge and yeah. you know blowing things up and sacrificing people so you need to ditch a bunch of the simulation stuff in order to create uh, the feeling that you're going for, even if that feeling isn't purely realistic. Yeah, I would say in Detective, I'm creating the feeling of being a what people think right. a detective in 1940s Los Angeles feels like, but I'm almost 100% sure that it's not an accurate representation of, <laughs> of what it was actually like to be a detective. But it's a representation of what people who are immersed in that genre uh, think it should be like. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. You're really messing around with expectations, and you're wanting to make sure you deliver what people are expecting. And I think in that, you know, trying to figure out theme versus simulation, if you really want a thematic game as opposed to a simulation, you find what's fun and you take out the other stuff. You know, the, the football game I've been working on, playtesting it tonight, and somebody said, hey, can these players get injured? And I said, no. They said, why not? I said, because that's not fun. Like, it's no fun when your quarterback gets injured and he can't play anymore. <laughs> like, that's garbage. You don't want yeah. – that's awful. When that happens, that's not fun. And so in my game, there's no injuries, right? And that's not – that doesn't make sense simulation-wise. Like, football is a, a very dangerous sport. There's injuries every single game, but not in mine, you know. And so getting to the, the fun, I also think about – the, the TV show 24, right? When Jack Bauer's running around saving the world in 24 hours. If you were to really do that correctly, he'd be sitting, tra- sitting in traffic, right? Because like, I love it to be like 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. and he's in Los Angeles and he's flying around all over the city. And it's like, have you been to Los Angeles between 5 and 6 p.m.? Like, you know, you'd be sitting in traffic until 8 p.m. and the terrorists win. You know, but that's not yeah. fun. It wouldn't be fun to watch Jack, Jack Bauer sit in traffic in his souped-up SUV with his gun just sitting in his holster. That's not fun. And so they didn't do that, you know, obviously. And so figuring out how to do that with your game is a very important thing uh, and not just that getting was, yeah bogged down. you put that you put that really well you're right we're trying to create i'm trying to create the fun of what being a detective in 1940s los angeles would be without the stuff that's not fun like yeah. paperwork and <laughs> right. yeah and getting and on the bus promo- <laughs> right exactly and getting on the bus bus and yeah. spending 10 hours at a stakeout. Like I'm not trying to, <laughs> I'm not trying to create a simulation like that. I'm trying right. to create the fun of it. Right. Absolutely. You want, when people get done, you want them to feel satisfied, right? What we're really creating are fun engines where people put time in and they get fun out, you know, sitting at a stakeout for 10 hours, that's 10 hours in zero fun out, you know? And so that's not the ratio that you want. Now let's, let's move on into talking about kind of more of the business side of things. I really like that you're a, co-owner of the company so you can really speak to kind of the business side let's talk about marketability of themes because there are some themes that might be the coolest games in the entire world and nobody's gonna buy them right it's just yeah. it is what it is and then you could have a, a ten dollar dice game that's all about zombies and it sells a million copies like it just is what it is and so talk to me about kind of the marketability and what game designers really need to think about when they start designing a game and if a publisher is going to pick it up or want to sell it if you know is it actually going to sell that I mean, 
that can be tricky because sometimes things that you would not be marketable um, actually take off and okay. do really well. Like, uh, for example, uh, Daryl Andrews' recent game, Sagrada, mm-hmm. which is about making stained glass windows. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. That's become that's like become a big success. Yeah. Um, uh, for him, but I if if. If you had said, hey, I have a game about making stained glass windows, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds like a winner. There's a big hole in the marketplace for stained glass window games. Uh, um, And so it can be be a little little dangerous to to discount uh, any theme. However, if you spend a lot of time researching the marketplace, you, you do know that certain things are successful. Uh, dungeon crawlers, uh, Cthulhu stuff with minis, yep. uh, zombies. You know, people people love to complain about how tired they are of zombie games and Cthulhu stuff. But man, that stuff continues to sell. Right. There's a reason why Fantasy Flight has slapped Cthulhu onto every single one of their various properties, and it's constantly coming out with new Cthulhu stuff. Yep. Because people love it and they eat it up and they spend a lot of money on it. Yep. Um, so, from a marketing perspective, uh, when I'm when I'm thinking about either one of my designs or another game we're picking up, one we're th- we're, we're looking for something that is unique or at least is a unique take on something that's already been done. I we have a post-apocalyptic game. There's plenty of them, but uh, Salvation Road was a unique take on that. But we're also looking, we're also trying to think like, will people want this? Will people want to buy this? I have a fantastic design that I love, which is modeled after one of, after one of my favorite guilty pleasures, which is The Bachelor. Okay. <laughs> With all the things I thought you were going to say right there, that was not it. <laughs> that was not it. I know that wasn't it. Um, man, I... This is a conversation for another day. Sure. I could go and I honestly think The Bachelor is the precursor to the Roman Colosseum. I think it's a fascinating social yeah. experiment. Like I don't watch it for any of the reasons that everyone else watches right. it. I, I I find it just fascinating from a create. Anyway, yeah. all that. I, I have a game concept and a game design. It's a fully co-op game where you're playing the producers of one of these shows yeah. trying to keep ratings up while also not letting all of your contestants like flame out and kill each other. It is really cool, yeah. but I have not spent any extra work on it because there is no way I can sell that game. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I have no idea how to sell that game. Uh, no one who would enjoy the game would want to buy it, and the people who would buy it for the theme would hate it. Right. Um, It'd be too deep for so what they were I wanting. Exactly. I haven't spent any extra time on that yeah. because it's just not. It's just not marketable. Um, now, if you so slap Cthulhu on it, I don't know. That's true. It could be. It could be uh, an elder god's dating competition where Yggdrasil is trying to find their one true elder god. Right. Now that's a good idea. Trying to find the best cultist, you know. (laughs) Um, So, so yes, I am constant. We are constantly thinking about marketability, and there, there could be. um, Although, honestly, truly, if a game is if the game design is strong enough, then that will break through whatever theme is on it. Right. Ultimately. So you have to, you, you have to really trust the design itself. The theme is, is, is fun. Um, but I could have made the most, uh, most detailed researched 1940s detective mystery solving game. And if the core design wasn't any fun, it would be a big pile of steaming crap. Right. And you might get you might get one print run out of it, but that's going to be it, right? Yeah, maybe not even that. Yeah. <laughs> or you will make one print run, and then a whole bunch of games will sit in a warehouse and right. lose money. And you'll sell them at a discounted price two years from now, right? Exactly yeah. on Tanga, <laughs> if that's if that's still a thing. if that exists anymore. <laughs> All right, so thinking about. Uh, you know, so let's say somebody wants to pitch a game to a company and they've got this really cool idea and they want to do this certain theme and then the publisher's like, hey, can it be Cthulhu? Like any advice to somebody in that kind of scenario as far as, because like you were talking about earlier, like you're kind of licensing your baby over to somebody else. Yeah. And so any advice as far as how to kind of deal with that situation when a publisher wants to change your theme or tweak it or make, make it the Cthulhu version? I would 
say that if you have really designed a thematic game, you can't it really truly thematic games where the theme is really married to the mechanics, you cannot strip it out. Mm. It's it's they're together. Yeah. Like and any publisher who sees that is gonna know that this is what it is. Take if you take Agricola, man, you can slop as you I could turn Agricola into a zombie game. Yeah. Or a space game. Or a you know, a fantasy game. It right. it, it the theme is easily transferable, um, but a really thematic game you cannot you cannot separate it. So a really good example of that is uh, a game that I personally love, which maybe not a lot of people have played, is Kingdom Death. Mm-hmm. You you can't put anything there. there right. is that no is other, what it is. Like nothing that else. Is what it, it, yeah. it those that that theme is married to to that those game mechanisms. And so if you have really created a thematic game and brought it to a publisher, then they're not, hopefully they're not going to be able to strip the theme out. They're going to know this is what it is. Um, However, uh, there aren't a lot of designers, I think, out there creating super rich thematic games just because they take a heck of a lot of extra time. And so oftentimes um, the the kinds of designs that – the designers are bringing to publishers, you can swap the theme out. Uh, and at that point, unless you are so in love with your theme of whatever it is, I would uh, trust the publisher and let them uh, put the theme on it because they're really about it as a product. Yeah. Um, they're thinking about it as an end product that they're trying to sell and that if your theme of you know uh, fairy princesses in uh, 12th century uh, Peru... <laughs> isn't going to work, then trust the publisher to put something on there that's going to be more marketable. Yeah, for sure. Well, I say that as a publisher. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, I totally get that you could bring your baby to a publisher and they could be like, nah, we're going to change it to this. And it could, they could really stab your, stab your child in the heart. Right. But I guess it comes down to, you know, how, how much do you want this game published? Now I'm, I'm first person to tell people don't just go with a publisher just to go with a publisher just because they don't go with the first person to say yeah I'll publish your game like if that's not really the post you want to be with they want to change the game in ways you don't want them to do so then take a step back right really assess what you're trying to do is it is it just about selling a game and making some money and having your game on the store shelves or is it is this really your passion project and you really need it to be about those fairy princesses in Peru like that's that's important to you you know and really assess the the reality of that situation but at the end of the day publishers are there to make money it's business right and we we're in a very cool industry very interesting industry where people care about each other and people want each other to succeed but at the end of the day people have to earn a paycheck and they have to make money and make sure other people are earning paychecks so this whole thing stays afloat and so just being aware of the business side now Evan, man, this has been really cool. Do you have any kind of like closing thoughts any other advice any wisdom for somebody that really wants to make really thematic games if you have a really thematic game, please come and pitch it to me. <laughs> I do not I do not get pitched enough thematic games. Yeah. Unfortunately, really truly thematic games take a lot of extra time. Right. I want to play if I'm if I'm if I'm evaluating a game and playing a game, I want to go. I can't I cannot change the theme on this. This is what it is. Yeah. And this is, I I feel this when I play it. And it is it is really hard to find that. Oftentimes the games I'm pitched and shown are, oh, well, we could, you know, do this theme or this theme, whatever you want. You know, it could be this thing. And that's, as a thematic publisher, that is not what I'm wanting to hear. Yeah. What I'm wanting to hear is, this is the theme, this is what it is, and I've created a game to create that. Right. That's really what I want to hear. And I, 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 don't, I don't get that enough. So if you have a really thematic game, please, please come and pitch it to me. Right. I, I want to play it. I want to evaluate it. Right. And is um, that vanridergames.com they can find you? Yes. Yeah. With a Y. R-Y-D-E-R. Yeah. So one more, one more thought is, you know, kind of going back what to you said, what you said a little, uh, a little while ago about how, hey, take a step back if it's not the publisher that you want to you work with. I would I would provide a counterpoint to that in that um, I am not this kind of design. I was not this kind of designer, which is why I got into publishing, mm-hmm. because my games were super precious to me. Yeah. And I think that your ability to succeed as a designer when your games are that precious to you is limited. 
The kinds of designers that really succeed in the industry being designers are the ones who have a lot of games. They're the ones who show up at a convention with 10 different designs because they're not super thematic. They haven't invested five years in each of them. Right. They've spent you know six months on each of them and they're strong core designs that the publisher can really take and work with. And those are the kinds of designers that can really make a go of, of, of being a designer. Mm-hmm. I realized quite quickly that that is not how I was wired. I took one game, I loved it, I invested it, I'm a graphic designer, I did the graphic design for it, I did the art direction for it, I mean, I I pour everything into it. It's like, it really is my baby. Um, If you are that kind of designer, (laughs) I am so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe think about getting into publishing. Um, But if you're not, I would say, don't don't treat your games as too precious. Get them signed. Get them signed with different publishers. If you do not have a game signed, do not treat that. I would say take the contract. You will learn so much. Maybe it will be an awful experience and your game will be tra- like will be treated so poorly, but you will learn so much. And if you're a good designer and if you have a lot of ideas in your head, then you've got 40 other amazing ideas. It's not just that one. Right. So – get get game signed work with different publishers for sure but especially if you've never had anything signed um do not treat do not treat it as so precious that you won't work with anyone because you're going to have to make some concessions at some point um so i made a lot of concessions uh with 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 dark moon and stuff and through that experience realized that i really wanted to be a publisher yeah and that's why i got into publishing i do a lot less design uh work I do a lot more publishing, so there's a trade-off there. But, like, for example, for Detective, I mean, I've spent five years on it now, wow. and it really is, I mean, it, I have had the opportunity, AJ Porfirio believed in the game, um, and we're doing it together, and I've had the opportunity to turn it into what I wanted it to be. I mean, it really is a labor of love. I mean, every single facet of it. So that's the other side of that coin. But I would say for most designers, get out there and get yourself signed, work with publishers. If one game crashes and burns, that's okay. You've got nine others. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I think that's really, really good advice, man. Evan, really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been really just a very good conversation. Took a lot of notes during this thing. We're about to head over into the bonus round. We're going to talk about mechanics. So we spent most of this conversation talking about theme. We're going to move over and talk about mechanics. Some of Evan's favorite mechanics, what he's really enjoying working with right now. You can check that out in the bonus round. Again, Evan, thanks for coming on the show. Good luck with everything you got going Thank on. You Good so luck much. with the Kickstarter. Thanks for listening. You're a BGDL listener. Appreciate you listening to the show. And yeah, good luck. Thank you, Gabe. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at BoardGameDesignLab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?